this morning we're going to be reading from Matthew 4, 8 through 18 through 22. And it says this, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. In the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, he called to them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning, and I just pray that we are able to open our ears to hear you this morning that we are able to open our eyes to see you because, God, you are alive, present, and at work in this room and with anyone who is online, online where they are this morning. God, you are present. You are alive. You are speaking to us, and you are working even when we don't see you. And this morning, I just pray that you reveal that to us, that we can take a moment from the busyness, from the craziness of our world, and, God, we can just look to you. We can hear you speak, hear your word, and notice of what Jesus has done, we are invited into family. We're invited into communion. God, you have made room for us. Allow us to hear you this morning. Hear you speak, inviting us out of isolation. And God, we look to you. You are good. You are great. We are thankful. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. After my freshman year of college, I joined what we called it Kentucky Christian University Camp Team Ministries. And so for the next six to eight weeks of that summer, I spent, I spent it with the same three people in one big vein, and we were traveling from camp to camp. And it wasn't just in one state, rather it was multiple states. We went from Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, both the Virginias, and one of my favorites was we actually got to go down to uh, Florida Beach for a camp ministry, which is really cool to do camp on the beach, just saying. But in the midst of this, there's a lot of travel. There's a lot of exhaustion that comes with it because you don't sleep super well at camp for those of you who've been there. Really what they give you is this, what they like to call a mattress, and it's this one-inch sheet of Honestly, I just think it's plastic at this point. Everything that was within it is gone at this point, and you're just sleeping on just plywood or like those springs. The springs are the worst part of it all. But I, camp is unique, and it's been something I've grown up with, and my wife loves camp more than anyone I know in the world. She has a passion for it and is heavily invested in it. It's actually one of the reasons why we began uh, connecting. But during this summer, I remember us um, who were on this camp team ministry, who are spending time with these different high school age kids. And a week really isn't that long to get to know somebody. Like the week flies and while you're, let's be real, while you're there and you're going through the midst of it all, it's like, oh my gosh, will this week ever end sometimes? And then you get to the end of it and you're like, man, where'd it go? You're spending so much time with these kids and we have new kids each and every week. And so each week, even our responsibility shifted. From week to week, it was something different. Sometimes we were small group leaders, we were speakers. Sometimes we were just whatever the dean says gets done. So if that means clean up the mess, um, if that means they need extra hands, if they need somebody come up with a silly game on the spot, we had to be ready for that and to do what needed to be done to entertain and have fun with these kids. But at the core of what we did, at the core of this ministry, it was all built around relationships with these students. It was all about the high school students. It was their experience and giving them a week that is truly built around Jesus so that they 
can come into relationship with him. They can experience a week that is full of joy and excitement that's built around helping them grow in their relationship with God. So from week to week, we're pouring out to these kids, having tough conversations, playing games, being awkward, cleaning up messes, getting messy and all. And a thing that began to weigh on my heart, and I don't know if it began to weigh on the other people in the same vein and on the same team as me, was, man, it began to weigh on me. Was I really getting through to these kids? Were, was, I, was I helping them grow in their relationship with Jesus? Was I being a model of who Jesus is enough for them to begin to see that so that they can take it home from that one week at camp? So that they, they don't just leave it on that hillside. They don't just leave it at that beach. They don't just leave it in that camp lake area, but rather they begin to take that home and have that relationship with God there. And that, that was one of the tough parts is it's you get one week with them and then you're gone kind of thing. I have a couple of them still follow me on social media, and so it's kind of fun seeing where they've gone and everything, but really, that's what it looks like. And I remember this one night, I won't forget it, it was our fifth week of camp, and it was the last night of it, always the last night. We were kind of having this moment as a group. Now, the group in which we had that week was, was unique, they were full of these students who weren't connected to anybody, had no idea who anyone was, and they came by themselves. See, all the other groups around here had a youth group that they came with. They came with their buddies, 20, 30, 10, however many. They knew people and were connected. Rather, the kids that we had in our group was this ragtag group of kids that knew nobody. They were the, the ones who were by themselves, and it's like, all right, let's throw them all in a group together, and let's give them to the KCU camp team. And it's like, all right, like, cool, this is, this is going to be interesting. So we begin to build relationships with them. We begin to play games and do stuff throughout the week. Um, and it was just throughout the week that I, it was one of those moments where you just begin to hear a voice in your head that begins to just bring about some doubt, beginning to feel drained. It's been five weeks of traveling to camp after camp after camp. You begin to feel drained and you're wondering, man, it, is what I'm doing really producing fruit? Is God working in this moment in the hearts of these students? And I remember this because it was, we were sitting around, it was our last night, and we're doing this group activity where one of our leaders uh, suggested that we go to each person in the group and we begin to say, hey, what's a fun story of something that happened this week or something that you appreciate about them? Because it, really at the beginning of the week, we had no idea who each other were. And so it was this cool thing to see what had changed throughout the week. And so we go all the way around the circle and hearing cool stories, we're laughing about different things that are happening. And then it gets to me. And I'm worried, uh, first off, I'm always worried of, oh, goodness, what's a kid going to say? What's a camper going to say, a high school kid? You never know what they're going to say. But I remember there's two kids that I will, I will not forget. And the first one um, came here, didn't know anybody. He was kind of that kid that sat by himself most of the week. He was a kid that went off and played carpet ball by himself. He didn't really go down to the lake where everyone else was because he didn't really feel included and welcome and like he was a part of what was going on. And so he was kind of off by himself most of the week. And I remember saying, you know what, like I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to just spend time with him. Even if I have no idea what words to say because I'm awkward enough myself and dealing with a high schooler who's also awkward, like I don't even know what to say. Hi, how are you? Let's, let's play carpet ball or whatever we're doing here. And I remember he, he said to me in this moment, he, he just thanked me. He thanked me for sitting with him, for playing games with him when he had no one else to do that with. And then we get to this another group of guys, and there's, there's three boys, and they all came together. They were the only people they knew. Uh, I think two of them were brothers, and they were, 
they were high action the whole week. They were the guys on the lake who were like, all right, what game can we go to next? We're playing soccer, we're doing this game, we're ziplining, we're doing this. And they were going and going and going. And I remember they would always say, hey, John, come join us, come do this. And it's like, oh, man, I have to get out in the lake again. I'm going to be sore in the morning. All right, fine, let's do this. I'm going to go spend time with you guys. All right, cool. And we get to the end of the week, and what they're telling me is, John, thanks, thanks for getting out there and doing that with us. John, thanks for spending time with us. John, thanks for relationally just connecting with us. They're like, we, we love the games that we did, the, the jokes in the dorm room, just spending time and laughing. And what they began to articulate was how they came into this camp not knowing anybody, not feeling welcome. And in this moment, what you begin to see is that they're articulating how they began to feel welcome just because of relational time spent with them. They began to feel like they wanted to come back because this is their first time coming here, didn't know what to expect. And they're like, yes, we, we are here next year. We are doing this again. And they began to even say like how they began to grow in the midst of this, how they began to see God at work during this week. And what I began to hear is what we've been talking about in this series of when, when we are faithful, God is fruitful. Amen. And it began to click for me. And what I remember is I remember back to my kind of my childhood, as I grew up and what it looks like for me to be growing up and learning who Jesus is and building that relationship with him. I grew up in a family that, that went to church. I grew up in a family that was connected with Jesus. We would go and we would do meals. And I always remember my grandpa, he would, he would be the one to pray over Thanksgiving. He'd be the one to pray at, thank, uh, at Christmas. And when I would go spend the night at their house, I could always remember my papa. I loved this. I, I knew I could get up in the morning, and at 6 a.m., he was already down in his office studying. He was reading his Bible. He was doing study, and I would go, and I would kind of sit down there and ask him, hey, what are, what are you reading? What are you, what are you doing? And I'm, I'm five, six years old at this time, and he begins telling me and begins to invest in me. And my family has always been supportive and encouraging of me and being a part of the church and my relationship with God. And even like as I began to grow up in middle school and high school years, and we all know those are some crazy times where you're really trying to find yourself and you make some stupid mistakes. You do some really good things, but you make a lot more stupid mistakes. And in the midst of this, I, I had some people that poured into me. I remember a guy named Steve. I still remember him to this day. We still connect every now and then. He's the guy who baptized me. And not only did he just dunk me in the water, but rather when we began having this conversation about baptism, what he said was, hey, come meet me once a week. And let's just begin to read the book of John together. Let's really look and see who Jesus is and what he did for us and why we get baptized. And he began to pour into me in that sense. It wasn't just, I'm going to baptize you. Awesome. You're on your way. No, he's like, here, let me help you understand who Jesus is and the relationship he wants to have with you. I remember um, Chase, who for some reason decided he was going to be a middle school, um, middle school leader in the sense of every Wednesday night, Chase spent time out of his week, in his busy week, where he worked, had a family and everything. He would come and spend time with us group of middle school boys who were loud, crazy, awkward, and just stupid at times. And he began to invest in us and began to take time out of his week. He made himself available and willing to us to invest in us because he cared. I remember other leaders I had, Matt, Tim, Greg, another Matt, and I even think back to the youth minister I had. I was lucky with a guy named Joey who didn't just invest in me while we were at church, but rather even look for opportunities to connect with me outside. We went golfing. We went and got lunch. We went to baseball games. He's an Indiana fan. I was a Louisville fan. And so they played every now and then. So we would go to those games. But even in those moments, it wasn't just like, oh, we're, we're playing golf. Oh, we're at a baseball game. No, it was, hey, how are you doing? What are you struggling with, man? Like, how are you connecting with God? How, how are things going at home? 
Like, how are you doing? Genuinely showing that he cared and relationally wanted to invest in me and cared about my relationship with God. And what you begin to see is that through relational and intentional investment that people have who are shaped by Jesus and they want to share that with others, God is going to use that. Because when we are faithful, God is fruitful. See, they entered into my world relationally. And they modeled what it looked like to follow Jesus. They made room in their lives, not only for God, but for others. And for some reason, they decided that their passion and their calling and their ministry was kids. And it was cool because you begin to see how they make themselves available to go on the journey of following Jesus with others. And they understood it wouldn't be perfect that us kids, we, you're going to make mistakes. And what they did was they didn't shame us. They didn't guilt us. They didn't push us away and say, man, you did that. You're, you're kind of off. Here's the boot. You're kind of out the door kind of thing. No, they always said, our arms are open. You are welcome here. You are adopted into this family. We love you and care about you. And we want to support, encourage, and equip you for as you go. And I even remember half of the reason why I am in ministry today is because of the leaders who are in my life who began to see uh, the relationship and what Jesus was doing in my heart and began to give me opportunities to use that, to begin to give me avenues of where I could help, and they would equip and empower me to go and do ministry with my friends and our youth group and my school and just other opportunities where they began to say, hey, John, as I've discipled you, I want to send you as well. And it's in the same methodology that we see the early church and Jesus' disciples go out to make their own disciples. See, Jesus led this by, through an example because Jesus is relational, he's intentional, and he's missional in how he invests in others. And I, I think what we need to do is just take a moment to look at the current state of the church, the way in which we are perceived and the way in which um, just some of our community is going. And according to Barna and some other leading figures of uh, cultural studies and trends, and I always enjoy watching these and seeing what, how people are perceiving the church and understanding what it looks like to follow Jesus. And this is what they began to identify, that there's this growing group of those who are disengaging with the church, those who are rooted in the church, who grew up there, who spent time there, who were invested in, began to leave become disengaged and de-churched. They knew who Jesus was, but what they began to say is the reasons why they left the church were for some of these. They began to identify um, moments of, of judgment, feeling like uh, the church was judgmental towards them, that the church was hypocritical, that there was no relevance or perception of how to take what we talk about on Sunday into our everyday life of what does it mean to follow Jesus in everything we do. They didn't see the relevance, the connection there. They saw the church as not accepting, as confusing. And this last one is always what gets me, is that there are moments in people who communicated that they felt like the church didn't have God as the main event, that there were other things that got in the way and basically shadowed who we are worshiping and what we do this for. And it's in this that they saw communities that began to emphasize the wrong things. They began to put uh, perfection over progress in the sense of they expected people to be perfect as they walked in the door. That they expected, oh, cool, you, you got baptized, you're following Jesus now, your life is good, you're not going to do anything wrong anymore. And rather what you begin to see is you begin to see uh, them identify cultures that would put self over spirit. Where it's, I, I want to do what I want to do, I'm going to put my priorities above following Jesus even though, like, I, I expect perfection from others. And they began to identify communities that shamed people for what they had done, that 
uh, identified communities where there's more investment in a Sunday program than worshiping God. Where they began to identify communities where it looks like following Jesus for one hour a week and then left them confused on how to integrate that into their everyday life. And when we begin to understand this, this begins to shape how we live and how we interact and how we as Generations Church get to model and be an example of what it looks like to be an everyday follower who begins to look at these and say, man, if this is what people are identifying, then how am I modeling what Jesus, what Jesus called me to, what he has done for his disciples? Because what you begin to see is Jesus, no, like Jesus is accepting. He is love. He is grace. He is the one who says, no, I am not shaming you for what you have done. Rather, I invite you and I identify you by what I have done on the cross for you, not by what you have done. And so if this is our cultural trend, how do we as Generations Church and followers of Jesus look to Jesus for how to make room for others? And this is where we get to our passage today. In Matthew 4, 18 through 22, once again, it says this, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and they were casting nets into the sea because they were fishermen. And he says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It says immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father. They were mending their nets, and Jesus calls them again. He says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He says, immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Three words capture how Jesus made disciples. Relational, intentional, and missional. See, what you, you begin to see when you compare Matthew's description of what happens here to John's description, when you go to John 1, he begins talking about how Jesus invited the early disciples, the first of his disciples, to come alongside him. You begin to realize that nearly 18 months into Jesus' ministry is when he approaches these guys, when he approaches James, John, Peter, and Andrew, and he begins to challenge them, and he challenges them to go deeper. It's in this challenge that he says, follow me. It's relational. And I will make you, it's intentional, fishers of men. It's missional. It's crucial for us to understand that this is not their first encounter with Jesus. This isn't some random guy who's passing by. Rather, they know who he is. They've been following Jesus. They've been interacting with John the Baptist. John the Baptist has been leading them and helping them grow in their faith of what it looks like to follow Jesus and be a disciple of his. And what we see from Jesus is characteristics of what it looks like when you begin to invest in others, those who do not have a relationship with Jesus. And one of the things we see from Jesus, is he makes himself available and he's willing to enter into worldly relations. We see this blatantly and specifically when you get to Matthew 9, 9 through 13, when you begin to see Matthew the tax collector. People always talk about Matthew and if you don't know much about tax collectors during their time, they are not very, let's just say, looked at well. They're looked as cheaters, crooked people who were stealing your money, and they were often the people who were shamed to put off to the outskirts of society, and they were, if they were in our today, they would be a part of that culture that is canceled. There are those people that would say, we want to leave them out because of who they are and what they've done, and rather what you see Jesus doing is he goes up to Matthew at his table, and he says, follow me. And then later what you see is he's sitting at the table with Matthew and other tax collectors and sinners with him. He's sitting there eating dinner with them. He's relationally having conversation and connection with them over a meal. 
And in this moment, you begin to see the religious leaders who are looking at him saying, Jesus, what are you doing? I, I, I thought you came here for us. And Jesus is like, no, I, I didn't come for those who, who think they're saved. Rather, I came for those who know they're not. I came for the sinners. I came for those who are broken. I came for those who've been shamed out of community. Another thing we see is we see how Jesus has prepared himself. He's invested in others out of his own relationship with God the Father. We see Jesus multiple times go off and pray by himself to God the Father. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that he is able to do what he does. And God uses this community, this loving fellowship in which he is able to go out and care for others. Because remember, God is community. He is relational. He is love and he is grace. And it is out of this that Jesus is able to love, share, forgive, show grace to others. And this is what he shows us. He goes on and he shares the good news with them. See, even in Jesus' ministry, we see that disciple-making, it's relational. It begins with us living out the good news in our everyday relationships. When we begin to understand who Jesus is, it shapes us. It changes who we are. When we begin to come into him, like we've talked about these last couple of weeks, it's going to transform our hearts. It's going to shape who we are, and the soil in which we have is going to be changed. And rather, we're going to see some weeds pulled out of our life. We're going to see some rocks thrown out. Our path is going to be softened so that we can bear fruit. God is going to transform us into his character. And Jesus was out amongst people, having these conversation connections all day, every day. See, it doesn't matter how many people you invite to follow Jesus if you aren't following him yourself. As Jesus embodied for us, that we do this out of community with God, that we are able to go out and love others that we're able to share this good news, that as we follow, we invite others to follow with us. As we know we are adopted into the family, we tell others, hey, you are too, come along with me. Let's do this together because we are not alone. We are not forgotten. God has made room for us. Jesus embodies go through movement towards others. To fish for people requires going out into the deep. It requires leaving behind what's familiar in favor for what's promised. See, the tough part about this is that it's, it's going to push up against what, what's easy for us, what's familiar, what's common of, oh, let me, let me just do what a, what a Christian does. Let me go to church. Let me do my Bible study. Let me pray on my own and everything. But what we begin to see is this is going to be challenging because what we have to do is we have to begin to go to others who aren't doing that. And it's going to rub and it's going to have some friction because they are broken people. And we, it is a broken world. But often the hardest part of this discipleship process is building the friendships with those who are lost, with those who are broken, and showing them that, no, like you are loved, that you are forgiven, that you are adopted, and there is a family for you. And we do this so that they can be receptive to the seed of the gospel, of the good news. And if we fail to do this hard part, most of the seed sowing is going to fall on hard soil and be unproductive. So you don't plant before you cultivate. We've been talking using this farming illustration for a couple of weeks now, using this soil illustration. And what you begin to see is that as we go out into our community, we interact with others who, who might just be that, that uh, hard-packed path, who might have a ton of stones in their life, who might have some deeply rooted weeds. And as we go out and we care for them, we begin to share the good news and the seed begins to be sowed. The way in which we show who Jesus is, we, we embody who he is and we extend that to others. The way in which we begin to do that, we begin to help people to soften their soil. 
to remove some of those rocks, to begin to help them pull out some of those deep weeds that they have in their life and replace it with the seed of the good news that tells them that they are loved, they are invited, they are brought into the family, that there is room for them. And this is where work and time that goes into being a people that helps people take next steps, it's going to take time. It doesn't happen overnight. And we begin to see this even in who Jesus is, that a year into his ministry is when he got his core disciples who we know of, who go on to do incredible things, who go on to make disciples of their own. See, it it took over a year in this moment. And sometimes we begin to expect that it's going to happen overnight for others. That we say just a simple invitation to, hey, come to a Sunday gathering with me, and they're going to be perfect followers of Jesus when they get in the door. Or we baptize them and dunk them, and we expect that this whole transformation happens and that they're going to walk this perfect life. And rather, what we begin to see with Jesus is that it's a journey of everyday life. It's a lifelong followership, a journey of going with people to follow him. And what we have to be prepared for is the what's next. When we invite people in and we tell them the good news, it's, we have to help them with the relevance of why, how does this connect to our everyday life? Why do we do this? Why do we follow Jesus? Why do we go beyond just the one hour on Sunday into the 167 hours that are left in the week and follow him everywhere we are in every day? And we begin to help people begin to understand this, how to interpret that into their life. See, that's what discipleship is. It's founded in relationships. It's not just sharing content, but it's fostering understanding in a sense of, I'm not just going to give you a Bible and say, you're on your way, you're good to go. I'm not just going to give you the little scripture that encourages you in this moment. No, I'm going to walk alongside you and help you understand that God loves you. He cares for you. He is present with you in this moment. He is going to do extraordinary things in your life. He is going to work. And when you begin to trust, and it's understanding that in this moment, we're still in a broken world. Things are going to be tough, and things, if we're just being honest and we're looking around, there's going to be anxiety that comes. There's going to be concerns. There's going to be that doubt that creeps in your mind. But when you begin to be in fellowship and community with others, they begin to point you to Jesus and say, hey, don't forget, you have a promise of an eternal life, of a God who has already conquered death, who has said, no, you are invited into the family. There is room for you. See, we join God's mission. We don't ask him to join ours. The sending nature of who God is, it's evident in the Father and how he sends the Son. It's evident in the Father and Son and how they send the Spirit. It helps us understand that we live life on mission. We are sent people as well, as the Holy Spirit's alive and present in us. It goes with us to wherever we are during our week. We are sent. We are sent everywhere. And the church is not the church if it's not moving deeper into the brokenness of our world, where we begin to go at the core of what's going on, and we begin to say, no, we, we do not believe what the brokenness says. Rather, you are not shamed, you are not guilted, you are not casted out. No, rather, you are loved, you are forgiven. There has been, Jesus has died for you and adopted you into the family. And we begin to share that, and we begin to embody that, and we begin to invite people in to share that with them. We don't just say it to them in passing. Rather, we embody that in how we act with them how we tweet, how we respond, how we react to the things that are happening in this world. We begin to embody that in everything in which we do. See, our authority, it doesn't equal character. Our title doesn't equal character. Our charisma, our platform, our influence, the accomplishments we have, our intelligence, our Bible knowledge, our education, it doesn't equal character, and the list could go on. Rather, character is revealed in how well we love the way in which Jesus has when we are shaped by his characteristics and priorities. People will begin to see that. 
when we are faithful, God is fruitful. And what it's going to look like, it's going to look like an intentional, I'm going to go out to where I'm at, to the people in my community, the people that I experience on an everyday, the people I might see in the coffee shop, the people that I might see in the drive through in which I go, the people at my kids' little league game at the schools, and the parents, or even my neighbors, that intentionally understand that I am on mission there, that I want to embody who Jesus is and begin to invite people in so I can share the good news in which I have experienced and how God has transformed me and how he can do that for them as well. As we've gone through this series of making room, moving from isolation to invitation and understanding what God has done for us, I, I think there is really kind of three places in which you might find yourself today. Now, I'm not sure where, where you are, but maybe you're in that exploration phase where you're, you're trying to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus and be in relationship with him because maybe you're new to faith. Maybe this is something you've never encountered before. Maybe you're trying to figure out what Christianity is and being connected to a church and who Jesus is and what he's done. Or maybe you're someone who's been a part of a church for a while, but you've been a part of the task. You've been a part of the mission. You've been serving and doing all this stuff, but you really don't have a relationship with God yet and understanding how, how to take this Sunday relationship with God where we celebrate and we worship him and move that into your everyday. Maybe you're in the engaged stage where you've been pursuing this relationship with Jesus and you, you feel like you've been doing really well with that, but you've been doing it in isolation and apart from others. And really at the core of it, you could begin using some encouragement, some support, because maybe you're feeling alone and broken in the midst of this because you're doing this all by yourself. And what we want to say is you are invited into community. And you need to begin to engage with another, with other people. As you pursue Jesus, you do it with others who are pursuing him as well. Or maybe you're in the extend stage where you've been pursuing this relationship with Jesus. You've been doing it with others in community, but now you're kind of at a point where you begin praying for God. God, help reveal someone in my life that I come across each and every week who is in my everyday, who's in my everywhere, that I can begin to invite them in to my journey of following you, Jesus. Someone who doesn't have a relationship with you that I can begin to share what you have done for me. God, help me to identify who in my life I can begin to extend and be on mission for because, God, I am sent. See, we don't just work for a relationship with God. We work from our relationship with God, which is given to us by what Jesus has done. He has made room. He has invited us in. He has adopted us. And it's through that relationship with him that we are able to share love, to share grace, to share who he is and what he has done for us. Imagine what would happen if instead of the church waiting for people to come find us, we went out to them to share that. See, a simple challenge by Jesus of come and see led to the family of God expanding. It led to disciples who made disciples who could continue to make disciples, and it's happened for years and years and years because of what Jesus has done. He was relational, he was intentional, and he was missional. As we understand that God has made room for us, he's invited us out of isolation. It is then that we are able to do that for others. Let's pray this morning. God, I am, I am grateful for who you are. Because even in the midst of chaos and uncertainty in our world, God, you are at work and there are good things being done. God, I cling to that. I cling to your hope, your goodness, your greatness, your mightiness, that you are bigger than anything of this world. God, I know you are ahead of me. You're ahead of us in this room and those who are watching online this morning. God, you are ahead of us. 
and you are with us, and you are inviting us to join you in what you are doing. And God, I pray that we can just lean into you, that we can hear from you, that we can see you tangibly and where you are calling us. Maybe you're calling us deeper into a relationship with you. Maybe you're calling us into a community base where we begin to pursue you with others and helping us understand that we're not alone and forgotten. Our story matters, that we have a community, a family that wants to pursue you together. Or God, maybe we need to begin to identify someone in our everyday Maybe it's a neighbor, someone we see at a restaurant, or maybe someone that we already have in mind. God, help me to extend an invitation to them, to invite them into the journey of following Jesus. God, you invited us in. I pray that you help us be able to do that for others.